For him, what was important late in his career was to be able to cement the legacy that had been created, and he can't do that from the bench. Hello and welcome to today's episode of the Basketball Strong Podcast. I'm Tim DeFrancesco, former LA Lakers strength and conditioning coach and doctor of physical therapy, and I'm here with my co-host, Emmy-nominated writer and author, Phil White. This podcast is not just for basketball junkies. It's for anyone who loves to hear the human stories behind great people while learning the science behind preparing your body for the court and high performance. Today's episode is a special one. I get a chance to share one of the stories that I collected during my time with Kobe and with the Lakers. There were many stories during those six seasons that I spent as the head strength coach of the Lakers. And many of those stories included Kobe and included lessons that I was able to glean and take and take notes on from one of the greatest to do it. And this is one that many people probably have not heard a lot about but about what it was like before one of the final games that he played at Madison Square Garden and how unlikely it was actually that he played and what he did to get himself on the court. I hope you enjoy it. Let's get into the conversation. What's happening, P? I've been looking forward to today's episode. Yeah, for sure. So recently we re-released part two of our I'll double header with Byron Scott. And as part of that, he was talking about mentoring a young Kobe, but you were there for kind of the the tail end of, of Kobe's career with the Lakers. And so what I was curious about is a, a story you've you've alluded to before, and uh, we got into it with Peter Olufsoga, who's a professor from the UK in, in psychology and specifically sports psychology over there at Sheffield Hallam and a, a dialogue that you had had with Peter on, on Twitter around this memory of yet one of the many times that Kobe wasn't going to be able to go for the game. Everyone thought, "Uh Oh, he's out, you know, maybe we'll do a quick weight room session with him or get him on the table at some point during or after the game, but there's no way this guy can go. And, you know, Madison square garden is one of, one of his favorite places to play. You know, he's dropped a 60 plus point performance there one one of his career highs not the highest of course of the 81 he's dropped a few 50 bombs on him and uh yet at a certain point i believe he's on either the locker room or the training room floor with low back tightness and you and your colleagues are thinking well we're just gonna have to scratch this and i'm not sure how we're gonna make up for these points but we're gonna have to find someone else and yet it didn't really turn out that way in the end. So um, tell us a little bit about what's going on with Kobe at this point and then how he, he surprised you and everyone else in the crowd and, and did Kobe-like things. Yeah, so this was one of those memories that I will always sort of take with me in terms of somebody that just refused to let other things control the outcomes of where he was going and what what he felt like was was important for him what was important late in his career was to be able to cement the legacy that had been created and he can't do that from the bench and so what i remember is when kobe would come to the arena he would go through a pretty extensive series of steps to get himself to the court in those latter stages in those later years of his career. And so he would come in, he would 
get his stuff down at his locker. He would get himself into usually just his, his shorts, not put his Jersey on at that time yet, but just, um, you know, maybe a sweatshirt and, and his, his game shorts, some, some slides, some sandals, and he'd make his way usually to Judy Sito's table. So Judy would go through around an hour often, maybe sometimes even more of body work, top to bottom, just going over the checkpoints that have been issues for him, either currently or historically. And they had a great routine that they would go through. Gary Vitti would check in either before or after that on any active injuries as the head athletic trainer that he needed to support with and, and think about preparing for him prior to the, the tip off. And Marco Nunez, assistant athletic trainer, would would chime in and support Gary in that process as well. And Marco Yuriveri was a massage therapist that we had who Kobe relied on heavily during his time and, and especially those latter years where there was just a lot going on physically for Kobe to get ready for a game. So then at some point, I would usually have a touch point with him within the activation or warm-up stage of things. Not every game, some stretches of games and some portions of the seasons, he would want more. Sometimes he would want less. It depended on how much time he had and what he needed and felt like he wanted at that point, which is the way it should be. He, nobody knew his body better than him at that point and at any point. And so I know that as I was getting other players through – I could see how much discomfort he seemed to be in just while on Judy's table. And this is in the, the locker room. There's sort of the visiting locker room at MSG at this time. There's, there's two sections to it. There's kind of this, the, the player section, and then there's a door and it opens up into a coach's locker room area. And so Kobe was on the table with Judy in the coach's locker room area. And so coaches were able to see how much pain and discomfort he just seemed to be in while Judy worked on him as he was passive on the table. And Judy and Kobe called me over at some point and asked me to bring him through some movement as we, as we started to get a little bit closer to game time, but still there was, there was enough time there where it wasn't like the, the, the ball was about to be tipped. And so I, do remember the look on his face as he sat up, as he tried to get from table to floor of being basically like, how am I going to even do this? And, and also in a lot of pain, I remember seeing looks on coaches faces saying, okay, so basically the, what felt like to me, they're, they're wondering in their heads, should we include him in the game plan that we're preparing for the team right now? Should we not? It doesn't seem like he can even get to the floor. So maybe we can scratch him at this point. And, and they're maybe in conversations probably with Gary Vitti. Hey, is he going to play? Is he not? That kind of thing. And I, I wasn't in those conversations, but I just was there with Kobe and Judy as he tried to make it to the floor thinking to myself, how's he going to do this? And, and not really having a lot of faith at that moment to say he's going to be able to get out there and do his thing. And so Kobe and I, with a, with a low back flare up and, and, or muscle spasm, it could be all the above. There could be a lot of things that create a flare up of, of, of low back pain, but with that, there's not like this secret 
list of, of five exercises that you do that, that clears up a low back flare up. There's the thing that we do know is you are more likely to be able to clear that flare up through basic movement and some action and contraction of the muscles in and around the core, the low back and that, and, and the hips. And so that's what we set out to do. And, and through trial and error, there was a couple of different positions and hip mobility exercises. And then things like a cat cow exercise that is just doing anterior posterior pelvic tilt up down type action while you're in all fours where he did seem to be gradually having less discomfort as he moved through stuff, but by no means was he like, Oh yeah, that's much better and hopping up to his feet and and lacing him up. And so I know he and Judy were having a conversation as I was just putting him through some basic movements and actions and, and trying to activate and stabilize. And, and with that, what I try to do is let the low back area feel like there is muscle contraction, there's stability being produced by the surrounding core muscles, and there's movement that is tolerable. So when, when you start to combine those things, it's kind of like trying to crack a code and you just try this, try that in a very, very basic way. And then if it seems like there's a trend in a positive direction, you may add a layer to it, add a layer to it. And so eventually we were able to get into a half kneeling position eventually, which is just one knee down, eventually up into a standing position and be able to do some work in that that orientation where what I often liked to do, and I did this a lot in on the court pregame with people, what I often liked to do was have them basically hold as a statue, holding their arms out in, in a clasp position at their hands, and then have me kind of push them gently off of their pelvis, shoulder, hand, and arm position, but have them try to hold against me. Try to get the core and the hips and, and everything to basically communicate together and stabilize a little bit in this case, provide stability to the area. And, and we just chipped away at that. I still, even as we finished that, was not convinced that we'd, we'd see him that night. And, um, and so I, I got my stuff together and Judy handed him back off to Judy. And, and I, you know, he, he was, I think at that point thinking, let me get a little bit more table work before I try to get out there. And I had to kind of gather my stuff up and get myself out to the court because it was getting closer to game time. And it was my responsibilities. One of them was to get out there to stretch and to activate and to, to, to get warmed up the, the players that are in pregame warmups on the court. And so I hustled out to, to that aspect of, of my responsibilities. And, um, and yeah, and, and the, the next thing I know, you, you hear the crowd going crazy. You hear him come out for warmups and, I'm just thinking to myself, man, if these people at MSG even knew what he had gone through to get to that place so that he could do what he felt they deserved, which was to put on a show and to, to give them the Kobe experience, it, it just, it, they, they, they would appreciate it even that much more. But I do, and I've heard, I, I had heard Kobe speak about the fact that for all he knew, there was somebody that had traveled there from Italy, from China, from anywhere in the world, just to go to that game to experience MSG and to experience Kobe at MSG. And he was going to do everything he could do to get out there. Yeah, it's amazing. Um, Something you've said in 
previous episodes and co- offline conversations with me is that you know when Kobe had the these injuries and this pain late in his career that he was determined that they and maybe Gary Vidi alluded to this in in the episode we did with him which was a, a real cork and a real treat for anyone listening that he these things may have thought they were driving the bus, but he was the bus driver and they were going to have to get on board to wherever he was going. Can you share a little bit more about that kind of part of the Mamba mentality, particularly later in his career when obviously the injuries started to pile up and how he kind of met this with even increased levels of determination? Yeah, I think especially with the Achilles injury, he licked his wounds very briefly as as he made his way back to the locker room when that actually happened after he hit the free throws and Robert Sacre helped him back to the court, uh, to the locker room. And he sat there with his family. And I think at that moment, what I sensed was he was trying to figure out, was he going to call it a wrap at that moment? And what came out of that was his press conference where he was teared up and there's all the microphones in his face while at his locker, while basically he's seated because the Achilles injury had had just happened, and um and and he may have even stood at that time in that press conference, but that basically he said I've I've made and and then the the hours and the days after that is what he reiterated was I've made a decision that. I'm going to make the call on when I'm done with this game, not this injury. And so I think that that was his overall mindset and mentality as he, he approached that stage of his career where, you know, his body was failing him and, and time and time again, I mean, went through these really pretty big injuries back to back to back in that stretch of time. And he had to kind of continue to go back to the well and say, no, I'm going to make the call on when I'm, when I'm going to wrap this up. But it, uh, it, it, it was uh, it was definitely a challenging period for him to be able to get to the court, even in a game where there wasn't a low back flare up like in that game at MSG that I'll, I'll never forget. No special moments and uh, we could go into more and dovetail into more, but we want to kind of save these for people and, and and as you said, just make them special individual memories for everyone listening. So this has been fantastic. Um, if anyone hasn't listened to the, the eight lessons that you learned from coaching Kobe and teaming up with him, I advise people to go and listen to that because there's so much more gold in there. And then look forward to, to sharing more of these individual stories with everybody as, as we move into future episodes of the Basketball Strong podcast. And keep it locked, keep it subscribed so you don't miss them. And uh, look look out for more uh, individual takes on this from you and follow-ups um, on your Instagram, right? At TD Athletes Edge. Yeah, absolutely. And on on Twitter as well, at TD Athletes Edge. And I would say the Twitter piece is where I interacted with Dr. Peter Olasuga. And we now have this really nice compliment of an episode to, to what we've just shared here, because Peter's point was, is there a dark side to the Mamba mentality to pushing through and to pushing too hard? And I scratched my head when he brought that up. And then we had an excellent conversation to kind of de debone that whole topic and, and get to the bottom of both sides of it. And uh, no need to rehash sort of what came out of that here, but 
if if you're listening to this episode and you haven't listened to the the episode with Dr. Peter Olasuga, uh, or if you haven't listened to the episode as you brought up the eight lessons that I learned from Kobe, I think it all ties together and it's it's some really really valuable lessons and inspiration that that Kobe left us and and things to make us all better. Absolutely, yet more reasons and more fuel to go out and be basketball strong. So. Thanks so much for sharing this, TD, and everyone that's listening. As our, our friend Henry Vera said back in episode three, let's all go out and keep knocking. Keep knocking, baby. Thanks so much, TD. Thank you for joining us today. If you enjoyed today's show, and we hope you did, please give us a good review on Apple Podcasts or whichever platform you listen to podcasts on. And so you never miss a weekly episode, be sure to subscribe and follow. You can find previous episodes on our show website. That's www.basketballstrongpodcast.com. For more basketball performance resources and nagging injury solutions, follow me on Instagram at TD Athletes Edge and follow Phil at Phil White Books. Until next week's episode, stay basketball strong.